You're listening to Fair Game, the fair industry's premier podcast experience with your host, Robert Smith. So I'm here with my friends, Bob and Kathy. And I have a seven-year-old running around making noise. As I was saying, I'm here with my friends, Bob and Kathy Duck of the Great American Duck Race. Uh, Bob Duck is here. Um, Can you give the listeners like the quick two-minute rundown on your background? No, I'll give you a 20-minute one. Well, I think (laughs) I'm pretty sure they'd much rather have... A the two, two to three minute hey. sort of synopsis, who you are, where, how you got here to be duck racing and to be like the premier duck racer on the planet. My time's gone now. Okay, I was born in uh, Oklahoma, raised in New Mexico. After graduating from high school, I went to New Mexico State University for one year. I was a horrible student. I, uh, then I auditioned for the Army Band. It was a great time to be in the Army during the height of the Vietnam War and all this. So I was accepted in the Army Band. I played one year at Fort Bliss and two years in Wurzburg, Germany. Uh, the first year that I was in the Army, my wife and I, Kathy, uh, we got married. So she got to go to uh, Germany with me for two years. After returning, I went back to New Mexico State University on the GI Bill and I finished a degree, a uh, Bachelor of Business Administration at Mexico State University. Then I went into the jewelry business, and uh, I owned a, a wholesale distributorship in Albuquerque for 20 years that I started from scratch. And uh, during the time that I had the jewelry business, I happened to join the Army National Guard Band uh, from New Mexico, and a saxophone player with them as well. And I used the money from uh, their uh, enlistment bonus to go to, um, to get my master's degree in business administration. So I got an MBA uh, thanks to the Army. Then after uh, 20 years is when I progressed into the duck racing business. <laughs> that interesting transition there. What made you decide you could make a living racing ducks. Now, everybody's got their own story that's an entertainer, uh, how they got there. Mine is pretty unique. Uh, Back when I had the jewelry company, they started a duck race in New Mexico. Crazy idea in Deming, the southern part of the state. I was driving to work one morning. I was listening to it on the radio, uh, an interview uh, about the duck races they were going to have in Deming. I thought, wouldn't it be funny since my last name is Duck and I had two pet ducks in my backyard (laughs) to enter them in the race. You know, and, and we had always been competitive, Kathy and I, so we trained the ducks best we knew how to train them. First year, we won third place out of 176 ducks. We got so excited. We saw how they raced the ducks, and we made a plan for the next year. The next year, we brought seven ducks. We called them the Magnificent Seven, okay? And the next year... There was more than 170 ducks. There was 100. No, there was 430 ducks the next year. I had seven. We go through elimination heats to get down to the final eight, the championship run, and I had four of the final eight ducks. We won first place. To make a long story short, I know I'm over my two minutes, but (laughs) we we won it 12 straight years, won over $50,000 racing ducks. And because my name is Duck and winning the duck races, it was a media explosion. I got a call from The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. They wanted me on the show with one of my ducks. And then People Magazine came, three pages in People Magazine, Wall Street Journal, front page. 
such a media stir. It was a lot of fun for me. Okay, now how did I get into the business? We did go to the New Mexico State Fair, and we watched pig races there. <laughs> Ding! A light went of off in my head. Of course, a pig race. I was, you know, I was an entrepreneur already with my jewelry business. I, th- <clears throat> I thought, you know, there's got to be some way. <clears throat> excuse me, I can make a living at this. So I put the show together. Excuse me. And I, um, I was fortunate enough to uh, pick up some boat shows and sports shows <clears throat> to uh, test the concept of having a uh, a duck race show. And it went well. And we kept on tweaking the the show. And then in 1999, I sold my jewelry business, which I had owned for 20 years. And we uh, we started the duck racing show. Our first year, we were at a an amusement park in uh, in Memphis, Tennessee. And that was a place where I actually put it on water, made it into a water show. Mm-hmm. And it was I worked very closely with Ducks Unlimited based in Memphis to make it into an educational show about mallards. So all those things came came together and um, we kept picking up steam. If more people would see it, more people would like it. We would go to trade shows and, and it's uh, now this is our 20th year of racing ducks. And so like as this built it was like lightning in a bottle. Like you, all, you knew you had something because you'd seen pig races. I've seen and- just because I had seen pig races and had ducks doesn't make a successful show. Just a convergence of things happened. Uh, my wife and I had trained Dobermans in obedience and showed them for so many years, and we were very successful with it. So we had this animal training down, and I was in the army bands, so I knew a lot about performance. Okay, because I had been uh, in so many performances, and I had led singing in my church for years and years, and I was used to talking in front of a lot of people. So these things all came together. Right. Uh, to make for the show that I was very comfortable with and people enjoyed. So the original Deming Duck Races, and I remember I was probably nine years old and I went. They the ducks run on grass. They ran on grass. And then That's so right. you added the water element of let's put them in their natural environment and if run them you, on water. If you've ever been in Memphis in the summer, you know it's hot and it's humid. And oh, yeah. it was for the benefit of the ducks. I wanted to keep them cooled down. And also uh, the people, that we, you know, the kids, they get splashed in the water. They have a great time right. on a hot day. And it just came together great. And now after we started doing that on the water, I sent videotapes of us doing on water to the Deming Duck Races. And they, they thought it was a great idea. And now to this day in Deming, you can either race on the grass track or on or the water, water track. track. And the last time I talked to someone from Deming, the demand for the water track was seven to one over the grass track. Well, that, that tells them what they need to be doing then. That's so right. what started as, as an element of practicality because it was hot and you wanted the comfort of the ducks became a huge entertainment element. because, exactly. And I've seen your show yeah. dozens of times. Yeah. My Nate's run ducks in your show at the right. New Mexico State Fair. The splashing is hysterical, especially right as they're holding them when you're on your marks and they're, the ducks are down in the water and they're right. already kicking because they're ready to go. Yeah. People are getting – it's hysterical. They have a good time. They have so much fun. So take us through a day. You're at a fair. A lot of us who are in the fair industry, whether we're entertainers or, or vendors or whatnot, we have a different kind of um, cadence and, and rhythm to our day. What, um, what is a typical day for the world's greatest duck racer look like? 
I get up, I have my coffee. At, at the fair. <laughs> Let's be clear. At the fair, not your average day. Well, you know, okay. <laughs> then I go to, I, you know, this is really the mark. We're early risers. Then I go to the show site, and I lift up the awning. I turn on the lights so it looks good for the people coming in early in the morning. And uh, I uh, put up the show times for the day because often they'll change from day to day. And then I put the ducks out. You see, we put the ducks in the trailer every night for their safety because you don't know in the middle of the night when some teenagers may come by and, <laughs> yes. and you know do harmful <laughs> things to the ducks or predators come and get into That's the true. duck pen. So we put them in the safety of the trailer every night. So every morning I get up, I put out the ducks, I spruce up the show uh, show area, you know, pick up the bleachers if there's any trash, and uh, make sure they have plenty of feed and water and and the feed machine. By the way, I service the feed machine at that point so the kids can feed the ducks during the day, so everything is fresh and ready to go. Okay, our first show. Let's say it's at noon or so. Uh, we come out about uh, 20 minutes before showtime, and we start our pre-show music. Now, with our pre-show music, we started a little bit soft, and then as it gets closer to the, uh, to the show, it gets a little louder, a little bit louder. So it makes everybody look. You know, something's going to go uh, be right. going on over there. So they take a look and they see the showtime. The bleachers start filling up. Once the bleachers are filled up. Uh, before the show starts, sometimes where there's large crowds, I mess with the crowd. I go out there and I say, hey, kids, what do you call a male duck? Who knows? You know, whoever knows when's a duck whistler, you know, something like that. Got it. And the female is kind of an educational type thing. And so, you, so it's a crowd, crowd building moment. So yeah, it's a crowd start, building moment. Got it. Then uh, the show starts with an inter my introduction. I come out and I give about five minutes of material, how the duck races got started, how you race the duck. Then I ask for volunteers. For each race, I can pick four people from the audience, and we have four heat races and a final. So 16 people get involved in each show, and we give prizes to the winners after the show's over. I visit with the people in the crowd, you know, until, until everybody's gone. Then we go in, and we wait for the next show. After the show's over, we do our cleanups. You know, you got to keep everything spick and span at a... Uh, at a fair right. and make sure the water's clean, the pen is clean, yada yada, put up the ducks and we're done for the day. And do you find keeping that level of cleanliness is helpful? I mean, obviously the fair industry is in a place now where with animal rights activists and things like that, do you feel like as an animal act, you're constantly being watched to make sure the animal's well-being is... is at the yeah, utmost. It doesn't bother me. You know, I mean, it's just one of those things that you do. Like when I was in the Army band, you know, you had to have your shoes shined all the time. You know, for you years, just you're, you just do it. Right. You know, and, you know, with uh, running a duck race, you know, you keep the, uh, you always have to make sure the ducks have shade and water and a clean tent. It's just something you do. It's it just, doesn't make any right. difference if people are watching or not. Got it. Just yeah. doing the right thing is always the right thing. Right. Got it. Um, so, we were talking earlier about pig races. For the listeners who don't know you and maybe don't know one of the more successful pig races in our industry, Swifty Swine, Zach and Shannon run Swifty Swine. You two, and I know because I have um, kind of gotten in on that, you two have a little bit of a fun prank thing going back Just and forth. Just a banter going back it's and forth, It's a banter yes. where somebody will move somebody's chairs or steal somebody's promo oh. when you're at IAFE at the convention. What are, like, what's the, when you're doing these pranks, what's the best prank you've pulled on him? 
And what's the best prank he's pulled on well, you? Well, you know, he's he's the master of the pranks. You know, <laughs> when we first first started doing affairs, and we got to know uh, uh, Shannon and and Zach really well, and you know, he would throw pizza cartons in his trash in the back of my truck and stuff like this. <laughs> and I find out who it was. And yeah, I think one of the best ones that he did was uh, we were at the Texas Association of Affairs, uh, their convention and trade show, and. Zach told us that his wife, Shannon, uh, just uh, several weeks before, had broken her leg. Uh, at a, They had gone to a ski resort, and she twisted her leg and broke it, and she couldn't, she couldn't come. She was staying at home, and we felt so bad. We were actually going to send her flowers, tell her we missed her at the convention, and yada, yada. <laughs> When the, when the trade show opened, one of our first customers at our booth was a fair manager that Zach and I, and I both knew, a mutual friend. And uh, we told him, did you hear about Shannon? She broke her leg skiing and she's not able to come. It's just, no, she didn't. I just talked she's to her right in the hallway. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That was the best one. You know, but I think that I, I started it all. after uh, The first year that we knew them, um, the season was over, and we were sending out Christmas cards. It was that time of the year, so I, you know, I should send Jack, Zach and Shannon a, a card. So I sent him a card, and I sent him a Starbucks card with nothing on it. <laughs> wow! So they go to Starbucks, and there's yeah. nothing there. Yeah. So you had to read in the fine point, fine print on my Christmas card. But I said, you know, hey. You know, I, I would love to have put some money on it, but I'm out of work right now, so it's the thought that counts, right? <laughs> That's terrible. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. The, you know, I always have fun at the convention. I, I even got in on that a couple of times, moving some of your ducks in the booth, and for a while there, you kept blaming Zach, and Zach was like, I don't, it wasn't me, I didn't <laughs> I do it. And yes, for like a year, I was the one that was like, yeah, that was me. You're terrible, Robert, you're terrible. <laughs> so, well, you know, I'm the, you know, the young whippersnapper coming into the industry, I have to make my, my mark, so I move your ducks around. Yeah. Speaking of, you have got enormous experience in this industry. What is something the ex- your experienced self would tell your young, hungry, inexperienced self? Don't give up when times are thin. Okay, because when you get into the fair industry, you have to get a little bit of experience under your belt. People have to see you. Once they see you, other fairs want you. It's really an interesting thing. You know, when we did uh, hooked up with the Nebraska State Fair, the reason was because the entertainment director saw us at the Oklahoma State Fair. Mm. And that sort of thing happens all the time. They see you at one fair, and then they contact you and ask you if you can come to their fair. So, And it it doesn't happen right away. It grows and it builds. Patience. Yes, patience. patience. Yeah. So along that same lines, eight years ago, I attended my first convention, and like I, I came in wide-eyed and ready to take on the world. But then I discovered conventions and trade shows do require some level of, of strategy and planning beyond just handing out all your stuff when you're at the trade show booth. So what would be a piece of advice you would give a young newcomer in this industry? You know, i got to tell you, when you go to a trade show for the first time, don't expect big things because they have to see you one or two or three years in a row before they start really paying a lot of attention to you. But what you need to do, uh, once you have the trade show on your schedule, you get a list of the, of the attendees going to the trade show and send them a postcard 
or send them a brochure or something and, and make a note to them. Hey, we're going to be at uh, booth uh, 519 of the trade show this year. Please stop by and see us. Right. Do you feel like newcomers come in and even some, I think some veterans are in this industry that they're trying to extract too much value for, and, and just get booked rather than really worry about bringing value to the fairs and getting context? Because I've noticed with Conjure Machine, like I'd love to go book every fair, but honestly, probably 50 to 60% of fairs in the industry, it's not, Conjure's probably not a great fit for. Right. So yeah. do you think that learning as much as you can about the fairs and providing them value rather than just saying book me, book me, book me is a better... It's a major thing. You've got to provide value for that fair. And if you don't think you can, you know, I wouldn't do it. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, now, in your years as a service provider to fairs, fairs have changed. Even just since 2009 when I jumped in, I've seen some pretty significant changes in fair operations. What... What are some of the things, changes over your years of experience that you've observed? How were things then versus, you know, versus now? What do you see now that is, a, where affairs really improving over the last, say, 10 years? When I started, people came in horses. Now they come in cars. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not that bad. No. Uh, actually, you know, the big things that I've noticed is the change of technology. You know, so many things are going on now. You, you have an app for the fair on your phone now. Right. You know, you can purchase your tickets online now. And another thing that I've uh, noticed that I've really appreciated is uh, the increase in security affairs. They really try to make it into a family entertainment venue. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I noticed that a lot this last September uh, when we did the New Mexico State Fair together because I had done it back, I want to go, oh gosh, 04, 05. And from the time I was a kid to what I saw at the fair now was night and day. Mm-hmm. The fair is... That the New Mexico State Fair in particular of all the fairs I've done, absolutely. You know, and and I know Dan Morning went in uh, as fair director, and and they brought in a new that Reithofer as their carnival operator that made an enormous difference um, o- over the prior ride operator. But it just feels like it's a really safe event. Like I wasn't sure when I honestly when I booked that act, and uh, like you know I'm at home. Do I want Sarah and Nate even to come down to it? Because for those of you who, anybody listening who's been in the New Mexico State Fair or, or is local in New Mexico, it's not in the best area of Albuquerque. But I was, that first night I stayed late because I wanted to see what it looked like after dark. I was blown away by the job that Dan Morning and that team had done. That I saw parents pushing kids in strollers. I saw families. Everybody was having fun and I didn't see a lot of riffraff. Absolutely. So I I see it I see great improvement I agree with the, the security affairs. Now you spoke earlier being an entrepreneur. If you had to pick the three most important characteristics for an entrepreneur running your own your own thing, what would those three characteristics be? You know, first and most important, you don't just show up, do your job, and collect a check. You've got to provide value for the fair. Okay, for their entertainment dollars they're spending on you, you have to give them more than they even thought that they would be able to get. You have to keep, you have to make your audience happy. You know, you have to make them smile. You have to make it where uh, 
for us, it's, it's a hands-on thing that they're going to remember for the rest of their lives because it's, it's unusual. You know, ours, ours is different. But you give something to take home and talk to their neighbors about. You, give, you need to give the media something to ex- get excited about covering at the fair. That's one thing. Um, an, another thing that um, you should do as an entrepreneur is... Um, I had this, okay. Uh, Another thing, you need to get your family bought into it, for sure. Like Kathy, oh my gosh, you know, now that she's bought into it, uh, and she always has been, we bounce ideas off of each other, and it's a fun family thing, and without her, I couldn't do it. Yeah, 100% agree on that one. I, I was, for me, was very lucky, because when I got into the fair industry, Sarah, what my wife was... She had a regular job. She had the benefits, she, all that jazz. I would not be here if it wasn't for her because she gave me the air cover to have those first three or four years where I only had two fares or four fares. But I knew there was something there, and I needed to be patient and keep pushing on. Right, right. So. Another thing you need, need to do as an entrepreneur, you need to take the pressure off of the fare management. Once you get there, you, there's some basics that you need. You need to know where to set up what your show times are, and get, get covered in those, those few things. And then you take it upon yourself. If there's a problem, you figure it out, okay? Yes. You don't go running to the fair manager and say, well, I need this, I need that. You just figure it out yourself. And, uh, and people have said so many times that they can tell that you're a professional because you do work th- these things out. That's right. what you need to do as, a, right. as an entrepreneur. Oh, sure. I've always found... Early on, I definitely found that when a fair would say, we need you to set up here, this is your time, there would be times that I would figure out that it's sometimes, and you guys, obviously you have a large footprint for the duck, right? You can't just be like, this isn't a good spot, let's move. But with being a grounds act, like Conjurer Fortune Machine is, there's times that where I've been set up has been, like New Mexico State Fair this last year, the initial spot was like, initially we thought it was going to be good, but after the first day it was like, this is going to be a disaster because there's just, the tribe was right by an entrance, traffic was just blowing by because they wanted to get into the fair. So I took it on myself to go spend 15 minutes or a half hour wandering around and go, okay, this, these are better alternatives. Then I went to the staff and said, hey, these two or three would be better spots, and they said, let's do this one. But I didn't make them go do it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I went and did the legwork to go so that they just had to make the choice, and then everything worked well. And, you know, when you're dealing with a lot of acts, something inevitable that happens is, is you'll have two acts right next to each other with showtimes the same time. Right. You don't go running to the fair manager and laying it on their desk. Sure. You just work it out with the guy next right. to you. And you, you change go your a signs early, at they the go site. A bit, yeah. You change your signs at the site. Right. You know, you keep them apprised of what's going on, you of know, course. For, the, for the fair announcer. Right. But, um just for those yeah. things. Take Settle, yeah, settling things amongst friends is usually much you better than having to go. Because the fair manager, the, everybody, whether you're the front office secretary or you're the head honcho, mm-hmm. you have 10 million things to accomplish in order in order to get through that fair. Mm-hmm. And then on day one when you show up and go, oh, you printed my sign wrong. Oh, yeah. That's just, you're going to lose on that one. You right, just got to, right, right. you either suck it up or you, ju- you fix it yourself. Right, right. I like it. I like it. Bob, I've enjoyed chatting with you. Uh, if listeners, any fair person I want to get in touch with you, where can they find you? Uh, William Morris Agency. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can no. find me on Hollywood's Walk of Fame. <laughs> no, all you have to do is go to racingducks.com. It has all the uh, contact information and you'll know, watch duck races online, all that stuff. 
Awesome. So racingducks.com. It's the Great American Duck Race. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, his real name is Duck. (laughs) Bob Duck, thanks for being with me on the show. Appreciate it. You bet. Hey, podcast family. I greatly appreciate you taking the time to listen to this podcast. And I would be thrilled if you would go ahead and give it a rating. Also, if you found value in this podcast, please share it with your friends. The more you share it, the more the podcast grows. 